So after we recorded this call, my friend Sam called me and said, you know, I don't think we talked about Bad Choice Tuesday. I don't think we talked about bad choices or how they went wrong or how they turned out. I don't think we stuck to a theme at all. And I said, yeah, maybe. She was like, do you think we need to re-record? I said, nope. Putting it out anyway. It's Bad Choice Tuesday. Here it is. Welcome to Bad Choice Tuesday with Andrea Howell. I'm talking with my friends about the questionable choices we make, sometimes unconventional, sometimes unavoidable, sometimes flat out bad. And sometimes Bad Choice Tuesday happens on a Thursday night. We're talking about friendship, unconditional love, and questionable choices. Welcome to Bad Choice Tuesday. All right. What are we talking about today? What are we talking about today? That's a really good question. It's Tuesday. Is it Tuesday? <laughs> it is Tuesday. Today is Tuesday. It was garbage day today. Did you forget to put the cans out? I did not. I did put the can out. However, okay, so I put the I put the garbage can out last night because it's Monday night. And then today, you're right. Today, okay, so today is Tuesday. You're right, Samantha. Is. Today is Tuesday. So I put the trash can out last night and we hardly had anything to put in it. I was so proud of myself. Like, hey, check us out. We didn't generate much trash. And then today around, I don't know, 10 o'clock in the morning, I thought, oh crap, I bought one of those pre-packaged like pot roast things that's just the raw meat and then a, a packet of vegetables like carrots and potatoes and onion that you're supposed to then throw all in the crock pot and it comes with a pre-seasoned package. And it's it's a little bit stupid. Like it's a little expensive, but you know, it's all right there and I don't forget about it, except I kind of forgot about it. So <laughs> this morning I opened the fridge and I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that today. So I take out the crock pot and I open the stuff and the vegetables are like mush. Hmm. And it wasn't that long ago. It was only I maybe four days ago or something that I had it delivered. So the meat's fine, but the carrots, anyway, the vegetable packet, not fine. Yeah. So that's okay. I take out the meat. I put it in the crock pot with the seasoning and some butter. And I'm just like, okay, clearly going to just cook the meat. And then I threw the whole packet of vegetables that are clearly already, you know, well past their prime. Mm -hmm into the kitchen trash can. And I'm now realizing, shit, today's Tuesday, which means that the garbage went out at like seven o'clock in the morning, almost yeah. empty. And yeah. I maybe should have cleaned out the fridge last night because now those rotten vegetables are going to sit in my trash can all week, basically cooking. Wait, you live on like a gazillion acres of land, don't you? Don't you like feed your wildlife? No, but vegetables, I vegetables, compost. Do. What are you doing? You're right. Actually, I could just cut open the bag and dump the rotten vegetables. Like, <laughs> Is that okay? a little bit far from her? Yeah, possums will eat a raccoon. Like, don't do it near your door if you don't want to have visitors. But like, they're vegetables. What are you doing? Putting them in the trash? No, you're right. And not only. Is it bad? They're vegetables and they're in the trash. Now 
they're vegetables that are in, you know, that came in the pre-vacuum sealed bag. Well, you cut that off. That can be recycled. Oh my gosh. Well, I don't know about the recycle part. I definitely could take the rotten vegetables on a walk. Yeah, take them on a walk. Put them out in the field. Some raccoons and possums would be so happy. See, this is how I ended up with the raccoons living in the fireplace. It's friends like you. You didn't feed them. You left the rotten vegetables in your house. And the raccoons were like, that lady keeps rotten vegetables. Let's see how we can get in. And they just (laughs) judged that once they got down into the fireplace, that there wasn't then a way into your house and your kitchen to deal with your, yeah. I'm sure that was it. I'm sure it was. You know what's funny? I actually had a pest control company like 10 years ago. And he said, he we were talking about, you know, mice and whatever when it gets cold because I back onto a field. And he said, you know, people always feel like the mice come in because a house is dirty. And he's like, the mice can't tell from the field if there's food in your house. The mice can't tell from the field that it's dirty. He's like, we service almost every house on this street. You all just don't notice. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of helped me. I'm glad. Yeah. I haven't had, now that I'm living in a city, I haven't had mice. But when I lived in Laguna Beach, I had mice and my cat and my dog were both frightened of them. And so we sort of lived, they just stayed up in the crawl space and we all lived harmoniously. The, yeah. Your cat, I thought the whole point of a cat was that then that was supposed to help with mice. You, one would think, but she did not, nor did my 75 pound shepherd Akita mix who used to cry when he saw, cause I had opened exposed beans and the little mice and rats would, they were kangaroo rats. They weren't like big city rats. They were cute little country rats. And Wait, what are kangaroo rats? They kind of look like little tiny kangaroos. Okay. Now, I know now you have Google, but they're adorable. <laughs> and they have Mickey Mouse ears. So they would run across and, and my dog would cry, not bark at them to scare them away or deter them from coming into my home. But, you know, I mean, I lived in a canyon, single wall construction. It's to be expected. I a couple times have had giant bull snakes, which are like, you know, like eight feet long and whatever. And they're as big around as your arm. And when you approach them, their defense mechanism is that they act like a rattlesnake. So they put their tail up and they sound like a rattlesnake, but they're not. They're this giant bull snake that really doesn't do anything but eat the mice around your house. But it's huge. I mean, it's scary, like movie huge. And the first time that I saw one, one of my kids was out on the patio in one of those little kiddie pools and was tiny. And between me and the sliding door in the kitchen and the kiddie pool and my child was this giant, like eight foot long snake as big as my arm that was making rattling noises. And I about lost my shit. I bet. Yeah. Total freak out. What was the rest of the story? I mean, you still have pictures. I don't think you had three. So I'm hoping that there's a happy ending to this story. But you can't just leave it. There's a giant snake and there's my child in the kiddie pool. (laughs) Moving on to the next story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't want to frighten the child, right? So, of course. Did you have it on a Tuesday? (laughs) Probably. 
<laughs> probably. It's probably a bad choice Tuesday. I, instead of trying to get my child, which, oh my gosh, I'm having this thought like 15 years too late that she could have really easily just gotten out of the kiddie pool, walked across the yard and walked in the back of the garage, like the garage door. Duh. Okay. What? It, she could have walked across the backyard and threw in the house through a different door. And I'm thinking okay. the snake is between her and the door that I want her to come in. You didn't I'm just, think to go out and get her? No, no. So what I did. Oh, there's a door my child can come in. She's okay. I'm going to stand on the other side of the glass door safely away from the snake. Oh, no, I wasn't on the other side. I was outside. And I happen to love snakes. I just had never seen a snake this big in my backyard with my child acting like a rattlesnake. And no, so what I did was I decided I did not want to frighten the child or make the child frightened of snakes because I like snakes. Yep. So I went out and just started basically taking pictures of the snake to try to get myself to the point that I was between the snake and the child and sort of corral the snake. And it worked. It eventually, my Taking pictures freaked out the snake enough so the that snake, it, it uh, went away. I, I thought you were going to tell me that the snake was like really into the photo shoot and was like posing and got distracted, and therefore the child could run away. And of course, as soon as the snake was gone, the child's like, "Oh no, where did the snake? Oh, that was so cool! Wow, let me see the pictures." <laughs> it was like the show was over. It was very disappointing, but I successfully made my child not afraid of the snake. So that was something. And it turned out not to be a rattlesnake. So nobody died and everything was fine. Had it been an actual rattlesnake, I don't know how that would have gone. It would have gone differently from the start had it been an actual rattlesnake. I wouldn't have known the difference. I didn't know until I came in and looked it up with the photos that I had taken. I had good pictures. Very, very brave. (laughs) I don't know. Snakes here are generally always actual rattlesnakes. We, we, tend to stay away from any wild snakes. We we have a lot of rattlesnakes. Like we I there's rattlesnake training for dogs and it's a little bit scary with the rattlesnakes here. You got to be careful like in the canyons and stuff. My sister and brother-in-law have a boa constrictor named Steven. There's <laughs> named Steven? <laughs> Steven. He he lives with them three dogs and and two three-year-old children. Do they take it out to play with it? I mean, not usually with the dogs and generally not yet with the children, but they do take him out and play with him. Yes. I mean, you know, he's fed. So I assume he's not going to try to strangle my brother-in-law and sister. And he hasn't yet met the dogs or the children. So it's okay. I mean, he's kind of, he doesn't even like to kill the rats that they put in his tank. So he's pretty gentle. I'm all right with Steven. He was a rescue snake. I feel okay about it. How does one get a rescue snake? What's a rescue snake? There are snake rescues and animal control. Like we'll do, you know, at the pound, there's snakes. You just have to ask about them. You know, people, people turn in their pet snakes. People get snakes as pets and then they can't care for them. They don't just, you know, kill them. Okay. Adopt a snake. (laughs) I think I've picked up a couple of those along the way. Yes, I'm sure that you have. (laughs) Haven't we all? 
Snakes <laughs> have legs and they're an entirely different beast, although just as venomous at times. How did right. you end up in California? It's trying to be a rock star. How does anybody end up in California? I slowly moved my way across the United States. I did not become a famous rock star. And then I moved down Yet. to Laguna Beach, moved back to LA. Oh, I, I have no chances of becoming a famous rock star now at all. A working musician, maybe, but not. I'm not chasing that dream. I don't do anything to, yeah. I still play. I play lots of things, but I don't have any desire to like be discovered though. Not not with music anyway. I like yeah. just your playing. That was part of how we reconnected because you had put out a piece of, is it Autumn's Fall? I think was the name yeah, was of Fall. the piece yeah. that I love. And I like, I contacted you and I'm like, can you send me this? Or I don't know how I was trying to download it and you sent it to me. And then I listened to it to fall asleep. Love that so much it was very like lovely I I play that song i have no idea what i did when i wrote that song i remember writing it like i was sitting i was living in laguna beach and i had this great place that was called the treehouse mm-hmm. and at one point it had been like it was like a guest house like it had been you know a treehouse in somebody's backyard over the years like somebody wanted to do their art in the treehouse and so they put in you know like plumbing you know they ran a hose up and then the tree started to die and they put it up on stilts and they extended it out. And it was like over the years, people sort of added to it. So it was always ready to fall down at any point, but it was absolutely loved it. And it was this little 500 square foot, one bedroom house that had a 900 square foot deck that overlooked Laguna Canyon. So I would just sit out there with my guitar and 99% of the time, the songs went, you know, it came into my head. I played it. I figured it all out. I spent all this time figuring out all the notes that sounded the best together and I'd record it. And then whatever I did just went away. Like I vaguely remember doing that, but I could not duplicate it. I could not do it again. I could never play it again for you. I have no idea what I did. I love that piece. Okay, I think well, you I'm could, so I think you need to practice. It's there forever. But I want a live performance, you know, so you're going to have to pull it together. I, oh, okay. Can you pick a song that like that song is a, a it's called detuning the guitar, right? The guitar is in a different tuning than standard tuning. And so it's not like just like, oh, I played a G and a D at like regular chords. So can you pick one of my songs that's easier to play than that one? How would I possibly know the difference between, no, I don't even, all the alphabet soup you just said, I don't know what the hell you mean. <laughs> so I could try to pick an easier song, but you would be like, oh my God, that one's even worse. Probably. You only like the things I can't replay. Oh, that's deep. It is. Those are very pressy. I told you these moments of wisdom, at least you are recording this one. You want the things that can't be duplicated. Yeah. Sorry. It was a moment in time. A little You're listening to Bad Choice Tuesday, a conversation about friendship, unconditional love, and unconventional choices. For more information, go to badchoicetuesday.com. We're glad you're here. And now, back to Bad Choice Tuesday. So what are you working on now? What's your big chance taking? What isn't my big chance taking? Everything. Every day that we get up is big chance taking. I am shopping a screenplay with my writing partner. And so we have... A management company, we have, I mean, obviously we have an agent, we have, any, we, have, we have a production company and an executive producer and a director. We're waiting on a studio 
and a lead actor, but there's this thing called a strike. It's making things not happen right now. So in the meantime, writing, working on a pilot for a TV show, that is currently what I'm doing. But I am also in the studio with my music friends making music because we do that. But I don't know if you call that taking a chance because it's not like, you know, we just do that because we love to do it. And, you know, if there's an appropriate place to say, stick it in a movie or get it, you know, out there somehow, we'll do that. But mostly we just do it because we really love, you know, we're just a bunch of old musicians that really love to make music. I love that you do that. I think, you know, what's interesting, you said every day we get up is like taking a chance. And what do you think makes you like that? Most people are not that tolerant for the unknown or for uncertainty. Do you actually seek out uncertainty and and situations that are unpredictable? Or do you are you just comfortable letting things happen that way? I don't know. I don't know where it comes from because I'm really like an anxious person. So I'm not, one would think that I would like like security and rigidity in things. And I certainly am somebody that's, you know, kind of set in my ways, I would say, but I don't know. I mean, I picked it. So when I'm not trying to make movies or music or whatever, I own my own company. I work for myself. I am my company, but I train dogs, right? So always unpredictable because pretty much every day is at least a little bit different. I meet dogs that I have no idea what they're going to be like or what they're going to do. They're animals. So they, by nature are unpredictable, but I have, I don't know where that came from. I mean, neither of my parents were necessarily unpredictable. Although my mom was sick. So my mom had MS. And so any day at my house growing up could be unpredictable, like in a really negative sort of way. So maybe I just got used to that, like, you never know what's going to happen. So you just kind of got to go with the day. I don't know, maybe that's where it came from. I wouldn't say that like I'm a risk taker or that I enjoy the adrenaline. of. So it's not like that. I don't know. It's really interesting. I never really thought of it that way. Yeah, you tend to jump around. You talk, it's not like you went to LA pursuing one particular thing and stuck with that. And that's what you're doing. And that's who you are. There's no one thing that seems to define you. A lot of things you do seem to blur the line between hobby and work. I mean, everything that I do seems to blur the line between hobby yeah. and work. I think I mean, a little bit, I think I have Peter Pan syndrome, right? Like I just never really wanted to grow up. So I have created a life, no matter what I'm doing in my life, my careers have always for the most part been play and when they don't feel like play is when I leave them and I don't want to file paperwork and fill out forms and so I stopped being a music therapist right and then I got a job in just doing like early childhood education art stuff and when it became more about selling art supplies I stopped doing it and then I got a job with dogs right and so it's like everything has sort of been when it stops feeling like it's fun I kind of stopped doing it so I trained dogs because it's fun. I write scripts because it's fun. I paint. It's a hobby. I'm not a great painter, but I paint because it's fun because I enjoy doing it. I make music because it's fun. So yeah, I really have designed my life. Like I just am not happy if I'm sitting in in an office or if I'm not doing something creative, think on my feet where it just feels like play. I have designed my life to feel like play. I love that. I don't think that's a not growing up. I I feel like I've done a pretty good job, especially in the last couple of years of surrounding myself with people who have that in common. 
I also have a lot of friends who have very serious jobs and they live in a very certain, you know, way, but they do it yeah. with alacrity. They're really excited about that life that they have for themselves and the career that they've right. built yeah. or whatever. And so it's a similar, yeah. it's still a similar feeling, even if I might look like I'm a little more out of the box or you might look like you're more out of the box. We're all chasing that same feeling. Most of the people around me want to enjoy their everyday life. And yeah. I, I think that's really interesting to prioritize that from a young age. Maybe it does come from your mom having been ill. I don't know. I Mine probably comes a lot from my dad having been in a fire. And then my mom died when I was 29. And so yeah. that almost reinforced... My parents were very playful anyway. But it, I my think that... Yeah. And I think... Well, I think when someone's ill or has an accident, um, is injured, people have a couple ways of dealing with it, one of which is humor and to be playful with it. And so that was the direction they took. And then I think when, but for me, when my mom died when I was so young, youngish, 29, yeah, that just yeah. reinforced it. It was like, oh yeah, like I'm not having days that are bad. I'm not having those. <laughs> And it yeah. actually, I've almost had to learn to let myself have a little bit of the downtime and be cool with it, which is kind of where the Bad Choice Tuesday came from. Like I had to figure out how to let myself have bad times and feel bad about it and then be yeah. okay with that. Be like, yeah, right. that was bad. It was instead of trying to always just have it be not bad. Right. We have been forced in that. Like I think that you and I had similar childhoods in that both of us had to deal with things at a very young age that generally speaking, one should not have to, or hopefully they don't have to deal with. And so that makes you grow up very fast. So it makes you hang on to some of those sort of playful, youthful things. And then also we came from parents that tried to make the best out of life despite sufferings. And so that kept us sort of playful and youthful. And then you and I both have had health issues and things at younger ages where it's like, oh, right, it, it's kind of important to enjoy my life. Nothing is guaranteed. Let's make, hey, if I can get out of bed today and put both feet on the floor and walk forward, might as well try to enjoy my day. Yeah. I so. think that watching people be physically prevented from, despite all their best efforts and what they want to do, watching them being yeah. prevented from being able to do anything they want has made right. me always really prioritize being able to do whatever the hell I want. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I feel yeah. so fortunate. That I had parents that were always like, yeah, okay, you may not make a career out of that, but you want to try it? Go, try it. I so support you. You want to start playing a new instrument? Great. Here's a gift certificate to Guitar Center. Go play a new instrument. Go do this thing. Go do that thing. Go figure out what makes you happy for sure. And you I think you do that for people happy. around you too. You like, as soon as I talk to you about things I want to do, you're always like, yeah, go for it. Send that to me. Tell me what you're doing. Yeah. It's not yeah, just I, limited to yourself. No, I love, I love encouraging and supporting people to be creative just because I think it's so important for our well-being as humans, right? It doesn't matter what the outcome of the thing is. It doesn't matter what kind of creativity it is. But I think as human beings, we have to be creative. And I think that that's not encouraged. There's so many other things that when we were young, we got to explore, but then we stop, right? Like you said, like sometimes I think we get so serious about, okay, well, this is my career and now I have to do this and that. And we forget that it's okay to make a painting because it's fun to paint. It's okay to, hey, I'm going to start a podcast. If something comes of it great, if nothing comes of it great, we become so product oriented when we grow up. 
that we forget to do things just because we like doing them. Right. And so, yeah, I always like, yeah, take out that guitar that you got at a garage sale when you were 16 that you've been in your closet. Why not? Who cares if you ever play anything good? Did you have fun? Do it. You know, I had this theory last year of incremental excitement because I felt like I was doing a really shitty job of noticing the funny things. I laugh all the time. I laugh all day long. I laugh with my friends. I laugh at myself. I talk out loud to myself and then think I'm funny and start laughing. And I was kind of not noticing that. Like it was happening. I just wasn't appreciating it. I was buried under whatever the other stuff was that was happening that day. And When I started really noticing like, oh, that 30 seconds was hilarious or that thing I did made me happy, that really changed everything for the last couple of years. When I contacted you, I think I said that I had bought a steel drum and I ended up with four of them because, and it's partly your fault because you sent me back this photo. You were like, I I said, I'm going to do, I'm going to get one of these steel drums and I'm going to you know, bang on it and see what it sounds like and whatever. And you send me back this picture of this gorgeous double-sided like handmade Russian oil barrel, amazing drum. I wanted that, but I couldn't afford it. So instead I bought four like cheap ones, (laughs) which probably all added together. I should have just bought the really fancy one. But what happened was when I started playing them, they all four made different sounds. And I think I had I had so much fun just comparing the sounds among them. Yeah. And that was all it yeah. took. I wasn't playing shit. <laughs> well done. I love that idea that you can just take some silly thing and play with it for 20 seconds. And I think I initially yeah. sent you one of those rings that like starts at your wrist and you can like flip it up and down your arm. You sent me eight of them. And <laughs> so I shared them, right, with the people that I'm often around. And one of them was this. So my writing partner's mother has Alzheimer's and she, they live together. And so there's an aide in the house, right? And so this aide, she's really great. And we love her. She's, you know, sober, she's tough. I gave her two of these things. She also does belly dancing. So I gave her two of these things and she's like, well, what are these called? And I could not figure out, I don't know what they're called. So I told her they were called Lottie-Dahs, right? Because <laughs> when you put them on, it makes you want to go Lottie-Da and like move your arm in a big sweeping motion. And so they will now forever be called Lottie-Dahs and I love with them and I play with them often because why not? Because it's fun and it feels good as they like roll up and down your, it's like if you could t- have taken a slinky and like made it jewelry when you were a kid and then made the slinky go up and down your arm, that's what they feel like. And it's not a monopoeic name. It, it sounds like what it is. It's true. I have a couple of the old larger metal slinkies sitting around the house. That does the same thing for me. And I've sent a couple people slinkies as gifts, like if they were having a hard time at work or stuff was going on at home or whatever. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you just need some stress relief, like just play with the slinky. And it sounds ridiculous, but I'm telling you what, you pick up a freaking slinky and you play with that for a few minutes and the motion of going back and forth and the rhythm of it and the sound of one of those good old metal ones, there's nothing like that. And incremental excitement, just little things that jump in and turn the day around. I do that like with my hands. I'm like, it's lanky, it's lanky, what a wonderful toy. It's fun for a dollar. Boy, my hands are going up and down and the slinky's going back and forth and making its pretty little metal slinky sound. And it's just how I roll with a slinky. I wonder if everyone does that. Like when I say the word slinky, if I'm talking to people about the fact that I love a slinky and (laughs) I love a slinky, I don't know that I've ever 
said that without actually making that motion with my hands. You say slinky and your hands start moving in the right way. I cherish the slinkies because I can't always be on a big trip. Or I take that Uh, back. Even if I could always, the incremental excitement, it's that. Because I think I could actually always be on a big trip, but I don't want to be because I like my life. And part of the reason I like my life is because I do things like play with drums and slinkies. And then the big things get to stay big things. Like I don't need awesome to happen every day or a concert to go to or a trip to go on or anything like that because the days are fun kind of as they are. Okay. Well, we've successfully talked for a whole hour about nothing. I mean, were we in any doubt that we'd be able to talk for a whole hour about nothing? No. (laughs) We usually talk for at least an hour about nothing once a week. But I wasn't thinking about that. I was just thinking about what the hell am I going to talk about for an hour? With me? Well, I mean, being recorded. Oh. With you, oh. never. Just get you know, being recorded. Like, which bad choice am I going to bring up of the many bad choices in my life? <laughs> right, like, are we going to talk about the time when I first came out of the closet and shaved both sides of my head because I wanted to look butch? I mean, you know, I wasn't sure what we were going to talk about. Oh, that's a good one. Did you did you cut it yourself? Hold on. No, wait a minute. Because one of my things is I cut my own hair, right? But you shaved the sides of your head. Well, I didn't. First of all, let me clarify that I was 19 years old in college and I allowed somebody else that was not a hairdresser to shave the sides of my head. Then I think <laughs> the Fantastic Sam's and I had it all like cleaned up. But I also let somebody cut my hair once with Crayola scissors to prove that you could give a haircut with safety scissors. Why? Why not? We were, it was when I, so I was doing children's enrichment stuff with art and music and early childhood education. And then we would have to like sell the school supplies. Right. And so there was a conference and we were all given, you know, like some Crayola scissors and some Lego stuff and right free stuff that we got from the companies for doing this like enrichment work. And there was a whole conversation about whether or not safety scissors were good for a certain age because they'll cut their own hair. And somebody said, you can't cut hair with this. And I said, yes, you can. And I let somebody give me a full haircut with Crayola safety scissors in a conference. (laughs) That's awesome. How did that hair at a conference? At a conference. Yeah. What they do with the hair as it fell on the floor. You're at a conference. You're what? In a conference center sitting in a in a chair and somebody starts cutting your hair with Crayola or sa- I guess, I don't know if they were Crayola, but like safety scissors? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, what happened I, to the I, hair? I went and wet my hair and then I sat in a chair in the middle of a thing and cut, 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 cut. And now there's just hair all over the floor around you. So what? The whole has a vacuum? There's a lot of hair. Was like, you know. <laughs> I had like, you know, Rapunzel and then they took it up to be like, you know, a bob. (laughs) How much hair do you think? Like, it was a trim. Okay. Well, that sounds sounds very professional of you, Samantha. (laughs) Somebody cut my hair with Crayola scissors. I'm just saying at a conference. Okay. We were making a point that you could. I just wanted to prove a point. Okay. You know, sometimes points have to get proven. People like to see things. They like, um, you know, irrefutable evidence. Yes. And you know, you know yeah. You can't hair with Crayola safety scissors. 
Okay. Well, bad choice Tuesday. Oh my God. Okay. Love you. you I'll talk to you later. Bye. You've been listening to Bad Choice Tuesday with Andrea Howell, a podcast about friendship, unconditional love, and questionable choices. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to hear our latest episode every Tuesday. For more information and to find previous episodes, go to badchoicetuesday.com. See you next week.